Dr. Hani Abigosen is a Lebanese world-renowned expert in medical aesthetics. Uh, and with over 15 years of experience in the aesthetic medical field, Dr. Hani has developed various exclusive procedures for which he became sought after worldwide. He's been nicknamed the magician. He lately also became a big name among celebrity aesthetic practitioners all over Europe and the Middle East. And he's also a speaker at international conferences and a key opinion leader for numerous international labs such as the Cosmosoft in France, Qterra USA and Beeceuticals Switzerland or Biotech UK. So, honey, the most pressing question for me today is, am I too young to get Botox and fillers? At the moment, I am 24. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I tell all my delegates and all my trainees and all the doctors I've had uh, the, uh, the chance to collaborate with. Well, we do start aging from the, the day we are born. And each one of us has got his own timeline. So there's no real age where we can start any uh, aesthetic treatment, whether it's preventative or even uh, like a proper cure. So it all depends on when we start to see our age signs and when they start to bother us, not actually when they start bothering the people around us. So once we start being bothered with the image we have in our mirror, this is the right time where we should start very slowly, though, very, very cautiously. And yeah, as I said, very slowly. So there's no real time where we should start our aesthetic treatments. However, all the studies have shown that we could start Botox at an early age in order to prevent uh, having expression wrinkles and age signs starting to show. That is the case for a lot of people, especially in London, where I'm living. And I know you're practicing all over the world and you know that better than anyone else. But for those people who say, well, we don't really want to use Botox and we don't really want to use any injectables, what are other preventative measures that we could use that you would recommend? Because you say prevention is better than fixing, isn't it? Usually, uh, even from a younger age than yours, we can start a, a good and healthy skincare routine at home, whether it's by a real moisture, by, by a real moisturizing care. And during the day, sunscreen is very crucial because, you know, photo aging and uh, sun damages are one of the most, are the biggest factors of skin aging. And uh, even if we take care also with the night care before we go to sleep, this is where during the night the skin is regenerating. So we usually give something that's more anti-aging during the night. So I think these gestures and this kind of routine we install in our daily life is what actually delays our need to any uh, proper aesthetic intervention. Those who say want to get ready for their big day, for their big wedding, uh, or want to treat more mature skin, what treatments are out there at the moment that you are practicing and that you would recommend for those people? Yeah, actually, there is no like one package fits all to all brides-to-be. First of all, we, we assess the, 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 the bride-to-be skin and also it depends on her age. However, it's obvious if we need something like in a month or two-month time, we cannot only rely on the skincare products we use at home. So uh, sometimes if she's a young lady um, planning to get married, we, can, we could start with what we call the transdermal therapies which is kind mm. of mesotherapy. So we use like cocktails we inject in the skin to improve the moisture, to, uh, to give glow, to, to we inject also lots of antioxidants, vitamin C sometimes depending on each skin type. 
And of course, I recommend like proper facials done in the clinic with a, by a facial therapist, something that's really highly specialized. And sometimes if, she, if, if the bride-to-be is over 30 and she starts to see some wrinkles, especially those wrinkles we see more when we put lots of foundation, which usually happens on our big day. So definitely some Botox wouldn't hurt either. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I'm more interested to know what other elements of prevention we could use in order to not needing to go invasive at all for the first uh, few decades of our adulthood. So I know you also spoke to me about nutrition and you you said, oh, okay, there's there's lots of like collagens and vitamin Cs that we, we could take to help the skin regenerate. Is there sort of like a, a list of things that, that you can recommend for people? Usually, usually I believe that we could only, uh, we could also work Uh, not only from the outside, but also from the inside. So, of course, uh, apart from the skincare routine, which is very important to the skin, along with the sunscreen, there are uh, a few supplements that could actually help delay uh, what we call the aging phenomenon. It could be mainly antioxidants. So I usually recommend vitamin C. Zinc is very interesting. There is a plant that's very, very trendy right now, and it's actually uh, full of antioxidant properties, which is the spirulina and the uh, Of course, any nutritherapist would know about that further. Uh, collagen powder, you've asked me about it, and usually I do recommend it. You know, some pills are also good, but collagen and powder is even of a higher absorption. So using this for the skin, for the hair, the nails, and also it helps a lot in the joints. So that could be also a good um, a good part of the package of the what we call the preventative anti-aging package, which all of this falls into what we call the longevity part of our practice. That makes a lot of sense. I think especially collagen powders and vitamins have become more and more trendy as 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 we go along. I'm sure. Have you have you seen this? Whole, I mean, I guess you have seen this whole supplements trend evolve over the years. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially now with the COVID with the COVID thing, there has been a lot of light spotted on the vitamin D as well in its uh, in its properties in terms of immunity boosting and also as anti aging, along with what we call. Um, the immunity boosters in general. But it's also about using the right supplements. It's not about uh, going going random all in. I guess there's so many brands and supplements that have been involved th throughout COVID. What, what's your take on that? Um, actually, uh, I'm not going to be naming brands, of course, but there's there's always reviews and clinical studies on, on good products we could potentially buy. So there's always some research we should do on a personal level in order to do the right choice. And maybe, of course, ask the pharmacist on, uh, around the corner or maybe our doctor, and they would definitely be able to um, to advise regarding the right product, depending also in which country we live. There has always been a lot of risk associated uh, to, let's say, Botox and using fillers and using uh, invasive treatments. And I know that you are a highly skilled practitioner, uh, but there's always these horror stories out there where uh, patients come to a practitioner and they get a filler in an artery and then they lose their eyesight or they're putting Botox into the wrong places of their bodies. So what would you say to people who have these concerns and may not want to go uh, for, for these treatments? Actually, uh, it's very important to, to, write, to go to the right practitioner. And the right practitioner doesn't mean that this is a person who will never make a mistake. Mistake. Anyone can make a mistake, but a good practitioner is someone who can handle a mistake and can really uh, 
uh, deal with any complication that might potentially occur. Of course, these complications are very rare, but in case these occur, there's there's a complication management and intravascular occlusion management, and any practitioner should be right skilled in this in order to overcome any sort of complication that might occur. So how do you spe- how do you spot a good practitioner then? I know if if you're in London, you have to go to Hani, but <laughs> if you're not in London or you're not in uh, in Lebanon or wherever Hani is practicing, how do you spot someone who is suitable? <laughs> so, uh, well, you need you need you need reviews. You need you need to research. You need it's not wrong to ask the person when we go to have a treatment done to ask the person what's the background, where have you been trained, how long have you been practicing for. Everything is important. Sometimes the website, I mean, sometimes social media can be a bit misleading because we only tend to post the most successful cases. But however, uh, it's very important to seek about the reputation. You can never be 100% sure uh, unless you go for the first time and second time and you feel you're comfortable. But there's a minimum. At least go to a doctor. Do not go to a beauty therapist to have an aesthetic treatment done. This is very important. And unfortunately, it's very common now in the UK because they charge less because they have nothing to pay for. They don't pay for their insurance. They don't pay for any other costs. So that's why they tend to have cheaper products. And because they don't have access to all the good products, they tend to buy cheaper and therefore sell for cheaper. So don't look for the for the good price. Look for the good practitioner. That is very well said. Thank you for that. You, When we spoke earlier, you mentioned something very interesting that I think you know the specific term for it, but it's basically the phenomenon that a practitioner will not be able to spot body dysmorphia in a patient. Um, and you had an interesting story of a patient who came came to you and you refused to basically treat that patient because you spotted the wrong signals can you elaborate a little bit on that maybe this is extremely important and this is why recently in my consent forms and my consultation forms there's a specific box to tick that you've never been diagnosed with bdd but which is body dysmorphic disorders or uh, if you take any other um, medicine for psychological issues because uh, you can you know it can be extremely uh, frustrating for the patient because most of the patients won't be happy with any outcome the procedure might give and uh, this could sometimes lead uh, to further problems so uh, me being a psychologist as well help uh, uh, i'm a bit more cautious about that and i can maybe detect it much easier but there are signs any other practitioner can also detect in a in a, in a way where the patient told, tells you stories about previous experiences and their procedures and where they were never happy and where the practitioner is always not qualified and there was never ever any procedure they 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 had and that was satisfying for them so this is sort of signs we could actually detect in a person where we can have sort of a question mark whether we need to treat that person or not how do i for example know that i have body dysmorphia or not how do i know body dysmorphia is sometimes you see It's a bit like the anorexia concerning the body, but it's for the face, uh, if you want to make it a bit simpler. So uh, it's like you're never happy with the way you look. You don't like your nose, whereas your nose looks fine. You don't like your cheeks, don't like your lips. You, you feel your eyes are very small. Your eyebrows are very droopy, whereas in reality, it's not the case. So these are some symptoms uh, a BDD patient would suffer from. 
I, for example, had a rhinoplasty about two years ago. I just had a small incision where uh, a surgeon who is also a friend of a friend of mine um, corrected the shape of my nose, which was not a big decision, which was also not a big treatment. But equally, would you say that could have been a case of body dysmorphia or would you say this is just a minimal correction that someone might might felt was was necessary for for them but how do you where do you put the line where's the line actually then? bdd is way is way wider it's not about one thing that we don't like it's always about if there's something we don't like and we correct there's automatically something else we start seeing and that we don't like either and it keeps on going and going it's not like about one minimal correction about a specific thing we're self-conscious about so yeah there's a big difference so no you're not bdd <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. So I can continue. <laughs> slowly, though, slowly. <laughs> I understand patients have been coming to you who were as young as 16 years old. Yeah, but now in the UK, specifically, we refuse uh, starting to treat patients with fillers and Botox before the age of 18. Although to me, 18 is also young enough, too young as well. But yeah, um, you know, sometimes they are misled with what they see on the social media. Sometimes they want to look like they that filtered picture of a celebrity or whatever. And then I try to explain to them that actually I've seen that celebrity at some point and she doesn't look at all like her pictures. So you need to to accept the real you instead of always uh, seeking like to look like whatever fake image you've got on your socials. So unfortunately, yeah, the start, uh, the age is starting to become lower and lower. However, uh, I'm sure pretty, uh, pretty much uh, ethical practitioners can deal with that in their practice. And you also mentioned that treatments have become more and more popular for men, which has traditionally been a rather feminine thing to do, I guess. 15, 20 years ago, if you started to get fillers, it was rather the women who wanted to <laughs> prevent having wrinkles and wanted to have fuller faces and rounder, fuller lips as, as they age. And when did you see things cap? When did you see it become much more popular among the male population? And why is it that that happened? Well, uh, I'll tell you what. When I started to practice back in 2005, I can tell you I had like maximum of 10% of my patients that were males and all the rest were females. But then today I can tell you I've got almost 45% of my patients who are males. And uh, well, there are many phenomena that has led that I think have led to this. First, uh, I've got so many women who were my patients who started bringing over their husbands because they wanted them as well to look better and to feel more relaxed, especially for Botox treatments. Because, you know, with age, when, when, uh, when, when men start frowning and have got those frown lines on their face, they look more severe, they look uh, older, just, just by, by, by these frown lines they've got between the eyebrows. And then you've got also the big uh, trend of the hair transplant, and we've been discussing earlier about so many studies that have been made about men taking care of their looks and how more successful they, they, they tend to be just because they take more, more care about their image. And this includes as well uh, the, the look of the hair. And uh, you actually told me that you, 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 you bumped into uh, a study made about uh, successful politicians who have more hair, they tend to be more successful than 
than bold men. If you look at Justin Trudeau or you think about even Donald Trump, uh, you or even Boris Johnson, exactly, you would think of men who have lots of hair. There is exceptions to the rule, of course, but if you look throughout history, there is a definitely t definite tendency towards having men in power who have good hair because it probably signifies health and good genetics. So about, about men who take care of their themselves in general, not only about aesthetic procedures, not only about anti-wrinkle injections or about fillers or anything. It's actually about taking care of the whole image. So, and aesthetic treatments fall uh, under, this, uh, under this title as well, like taking care of their looks, maybe, I don't know, the gel, maybe... Uh, Maybe the beard, well-groomed, maybe the looks, the, the, the clothes, etc., the outfits. So it's about the whole thing, actually. But I think that's why aesthetic procedures have become more and more popular in, in men, especially busy men, businessmen, men seeking power, seeking success, seeking wealth, etc. And as you observed all of these changes within recent years, what are sort of the treatments that you would see happening more and more in the near future. So what are the aesthetic practices that people would go for in, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years? Will it be the same as today? Will it even be more? Will it become more of a standard? Or will we see something else arise out of nowhere? As someone who's in the industry, you would know. <laughs> and what, what I can be sure of is that there will be way and way more uh, tendency of going non-invasive because people are becoming more and more busy. They have more and more uh, busy lifestyles. So they definitely go to non-invasive stuff, like in terms of injectables. Uh, in, recently, we're starting to use lots of skin boosters, which are extremely successful, especially in men, because this is where you improve your skin quality. You give a bit of uh, skin density without creating volumes. And this is what men like. It's like a tighter skin, more collagen, with less volume in their face, which we, we were only able to do with fillers uh, earlier, like mm. a few years back. So I think tendency will go to sort of these treatments, anything that boosts your own uh, skin quality improvement, skin tightening, uh, lots of glow enhancement, instead of going like to, uh, to literally like a surgical facelift or any other uh, surgery, I think this is what we're going to be tending to in the next 10 years. There has been this thing that I found on TikTok Basically, it was someone's grandmother in her 70s and she had this really glowy full skin and she believed that using Vaseline every night and plaster Vaseline all over her face prevents her from getting wrinkles. Is, is that true or is there something about it? Well, uh, to be honest, uh, I wouldn't recommend putting uh, petroleum jelly on the face every day because, because it's something very th thick. It's very oily, very greasy. So you'd not allow your skin to breathe uh, well especially if you've got a greasy skin. If the person has got a very dry skin, I think Vaseline would give that moisture, but it's also, of course, very, um, it's very external. Vaseline cannot be absorbed by the skin. It remains uh, uh, on the outside. So that's why it, it creates like a film that would, that would make, make some moisture held inside if you've got a very dry skin. However, I don't, I don't really uh, recommend Vaseline as the ultimate anti-aging for anyone. So is there another ultimate anti-aging measure? Or what, what do you think is the single biggest lifestyle change that I could, for example, make as a young woman to prevent my skin from aging or make it slower? 
Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to tell you, there are some key ingredients. I'd recommend anyone starting to, um, uh, who's starting to believe they need to start their anti-aging journey. I think mainly of retinol. I think of vitamin C. I think of vitamin E. I think in terms of uh, pills, I think of zinc, of vitamin D, vitamin C as well in, uh, in, in, in tablets. This is like a cocktail of antioxidant that, that would actually suit like almost everyone. But there are definitely also some catered or bespoke mixtures we can recommend on a personal level after we've done a, a right uh, a thorough assessment. Of course, because no one is really the same. But staying out of light, as you mentioned, just like the royals, the royals were known for st staying out of the sun. And maybe this is also the reason the queen got so old. I think she was 96. Do you think it's because she stayed out of the sun? Well, you know what? She didn't look her age, whether we like, we like that or not. She didn't look her age whatsoever. And yes, definitely, because with the sun, you've got first the freckles and you've got the sun damages and collagen is um, destroyed much faster under the UV effects. So definitely the sun is, uh, is one of the biggest factors that leads to uh, a faster aging. But then if you look at the Mediterranean people or you look at statistics they say people who live somewhere around the sun they live happier and longer lives so i think that was a study published that showed that the the people who get the oldest in the whole of europe was some sort of greek island i think some italian island and a greek island i think these were the two um two oldest populations in the whole of europe at this point in time? Well, I mean, if you look, if, if you have a, a, a destroyed skin uh, and if you go to the sun, you'll have more sun damages showing, but it doesn't mean you're going to die earlier. But, at, but you will look older than your age, but you live happier and you live for longer. This is for sure. I, I mean, these are two different, uh, they are two different factors. So you'll be maybe 70 looking 80, but you might live until you become 90. <laughs> and yes, definitely living in the sun gives you a better mood and it puts you in a better, in a better state of mind. And there are so many studies about that. So that. But actually, and also in the Mediterranean area, the skin type is prone to be more protected than like if you compare to, uh, to skin types like one, like in Sweden or in Finland or in Western Europe or Eastern Europe. But, so that's why... Uh, they would maybe uh, be less harmed by the sun, but still they would be definitely harmed by the sun exposure. Is that also the reason why dark skin ages much slower than lighter skin? Because it's thicker. Yeah, it's thicker and has so much more melanin, which is a pigment that helps skin being protected. But that's why, um, yeah, black people tend to age much, much slower than, than, than white people, definitely. Apart from skin aging and from skin treatments you also specialize in anti-aging in general don't you absolutely yeah this is what we call longevity and this is uh, actually one of the things we are mainly focusing on during our practice because one of the reasons is because we're starting to have younger population wanting treatments so we try to to do some sort of cocktails and to combine mixtures that we can inject in the skin just to have like an uh, antioxidant uh, activity or mainly only sometimes just moisturizing. So uh, people would feel like they have had uh, a clinical treatment without undergoing the classical aesthetic procedures. Because you, I think you said last time we spoke that you can see age sometimes really on the hands as well. So 
moisturizing the hands or what, what do you do? You actually inject uh, collagen or hyaluronic acid or something in, inside the hand? Well, we can, do, we can do fillers, which is the classical treatment, but now there are skin boosters we do in the hands. And these are uh, a cocktail we inject in specific spots in the hands, and this will lead to your own collagen and elastin production, and hands would look much, much younger in about uh, five to 10 days. And this is now um, a very uh, interesting and uh, very successful treatment. We do it also for the neck, for the décolletage, and for the face. And it's one of the revolution right right now in the aesthetic medicine because we don't only like hide the the age signs that we actually treat uh, from inside, which is I guess how you would aid prevention in the first place. I follow. I don't know if you know them, but I follow two scientists on YouTube. One is David Sinclair, who's been known in their whole longevity, yeah, and the other one is Dr. Eric Berg who's also a big nutritionist. And both of them, they seem to swear on fasting uh, and on the right dieting. Of course, it's, it's from the inside. And I always work along with the dietitians because we take care of the face and the body in our practice. And definitely, I, uh, I think a proper diet is key, especially eating good fruits, good fibers, having the right amount of fluids during the day, focusing on, um, on food, uh, what we call superfoods, and also food rich in antioxidants. Everything helps for, to look healthier as well. Do you think fasting helps? I think fasting helps, not in all cases, though. I'm not, I'm not a nutritionist. Fasting mm -hmm. definitely helps, but not in all cases. They need the right assessment. They need to check their insulin levels. If they've got any pre-diabetes state, and after that, they can definitely uh, benefit from fasting if they're the right candidate for it. Honey, thank you very much. We've covered a lot that I had on my whole list of things. Well, thank you, Louise. It was an amazing, uh, it was an amazing uh, interview. Thank you for all the questions. And uh, we'll definitely be recording something else very soon.